Amen. You can be seated. I want to welcome you today to the orchard. Whether you are joining us here in the house, whether you are listening to us on the radio in the South Pacific of Vanuatu, whether you are, wherever you find yourself as part of the orchard uh, here in this building or as we go around the globe, we want to welcome you. Uh, we had an amazing first service, and I believe that God has something for us today. If you are new with us, joining us new, you are in the very tail end of an over year's preaching from the book of John. As we followed Jesus in the book of John and how he lived, and so we come to our second to last week, and I thought it would be fitting to end the book of John by preaching from the book of Luke. And so that's what we're going to do today, okay? Yeah, there you go. Here's what I want to say. If you are joining us for the first time, um, you're gonna, we're in the middle of a teaching in some of this series, but the principles and the, what God wants to speak to you today uh, are translated even if you haven't been here. My prayer every single week is that however you listen or watch is that by the time you leave, you are somehow different than when you came in or when you started. And that's my prayer for you today that God speaks to you, that you don't just hear from me and hear some music, but you have an interaction, a moment with the God above. And so next week will be our final week in the book of John. It, right now we're in the book of Luke. Jesus has resurrected, and he's now starting to reveal himself to his disciples. Now, the fact that he resurrected, this changed everything when it comes to the movement of Jesus. I mean, when they saw Jesus crucified, they would be depressed, they would be disenchanted, they would be disappointed. The movement of Jesus died on the cross until they saw Jesus resurrected. Disciples who watch their rabbi get crucified publicly, they don't want to go out and preach new messages about that because that wasn't supposed to happen. But when someone tells you they will raise from the dead and they do it, believe them. Jesus began to reveal himself resurrected, and that fact alone is what changed these disheartened and broken people whose faith was shattered into what we see coming next, these people who are full of passion and full of boldness because something has happened, and that something is that Jesus has come back to life. But for many of them, they haven't yet seen Jesus resurrected. And so today in Luke 24, we're going to follow two people we're going to follow two people as they leave Jesus. They had followed him for years. They had seen him crucified. And after that, they packed up and they went home. They were going back to their old lives. They're on what's called the road to Emmaus. It's the road that leaves Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified back to the city of Emmaus. It'd be like calling it the road to Willits. That's just what it is, okay? Verse 13. Um, that same day, the same day that um, Jesus resurrected and some people saw the angels, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked, they were talking about all that had happened. And make no mistake, this conversation wasn't very jolly. They didn't have a lot of good things to talk about. They were probably going back through the happenings of the past years, trying to figure out where it had gone wrong. Like, where did we miss it? Where did we miss it? This wasn't supposed to happen. Jesus raised the dead. He did these, these, he, we, we were in the room with him when he did so many miracles. Now what? Verse 15, as they talked, as they discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. So this resurrected Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, joins these two people 
as they're walking back to their home. And Jesus, we've discussed before how he loves to ask the obvious question. Remember, he asks a blind man, what do you want? Well, I want to see. You know, he wants to hear people verbalize their heart, their emotion, and their faith. And so he walks up and he says, what are you discussing so intently as you walk? Which is the most Jesus thing ever. I mean, have you ever been, let's say you're, you're at the coffee shop and you see this, these two people just intently discussing something. And you walk over there and go, so what's the topic? What's going on here? Jesus walks upon these two having this intense conversation intently. He says, what are you discussing so intently? And his question was so shocking. It says in verse 17, they stopped short. They stopped short. And it says sadness was written across their faces. That, which tells you what they had been talking about. Which tells you the mood and, the, and where their hearts are. They're heartbroken. They're disappointed. They're disenchanted with faith. His question caused them to lose their stride. They can't believe that this man who's leaving Jerusalem hasn't heard what just happened in Jerusalem. So one of them, whose name is Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. Like, you're the last person who didn't know Will Smith last slapped somebody. <laughs> like, it's everywhere. You didn't know? <laughs> you're the only person leaving Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened the last few days. And Jesus, I love this, he goes, what things? Like, <laughs> Jesus is the one who is crucified. What, what kind of things are you talking about here? He's, again, he's drawing some things out of them, getting them to verbalize their faith and their heart. The one named Cleopas replies, well, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. Remember, these people were there. They saw some of them. He was mighty teacher. They heard his teachings in the eyes of God and the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Check this next, these next uh, three words. We had hoped. We had hoped we had hoped that he was who he said he was. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who'd come to rescue Israel, to save us. This all happened three days ago. Like, where have you been? We had hoped that he was the one to come and save us, but we, we were wrong. We were hoping he was who he said he was, but we're wrong. So we're going home. Cleopas continues, Then some women from our group... This very morning, or at the tomb, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they'd seen angels who said that Jesus was alive. Some of our men, we know that was Peter and John from previous weeks, ran to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women said. Like, that's the news. They, they had heard it. But what did their actions reveal they believe? Do they believe the report? They're going home. They're not sticking around to see. This very morning, someone said Jesus was alive, but we saw him die. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to come and suffer all these things before entering into glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now remember, they still don't know it's him, so he's explaining how the Bible points to Jesus. He knows their hearts. He lets them know that all this is happening just as it should, just as it was planned. 
And then Jesus takes them through the entire Old Testament prophecies, all the prophets, all the things that are written about him, things they had probably known were written about him, things they hadn't known, every single prophecy in the Old Testament. And he says, every single one of these points to a person. The Bible points to a person. This sermon on the road to Emmaus is one that I would give anything to hear. I just can't even fathom hearing Jesus go through the entire Old Testament and every prophecy and revealing how they all lead to him. I cut more pages from today's sermon than I am speaking from because we didn't need a three-hour service. But a lot of it was about the, pro- the prophecies and just th- over 300 prophecies he specifically fulfilled and the odds of just fulfilling three or eight but Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Bible points to a person. It reveals the nature of God and points to Jesus. It's beautiful. Jesus came and fulfilled all these prophecies. And here on the road to Emmaus, he takes the time. He takes time out of his, he has lots to do. He has people to see, but he takes time with these people to reveal all of the Bible pointing to him. He hides his identity from them, but reveals that the Bible points to his identity. Then guess what he does? He gets to their home. It's late, so they invite him to come in and eat. He goes into their house to eat with them. He breaks bread in front of them. Their eyes are open to who it is, and he disappears. Huh. Which reminds me, like, you don't write it this way unless it happened this way. There's so many things in the account of Jesus resurrecting, including culturally, the first people that knew about it were women. Culturally, if you're going back and you're writing a fictitious account of how someone was raised from the dead, you don't put all this stuff in there. You don't. The only reason that this stuff is in here is because that's the way it happened, because that's not how you write it if you're trying to, to resurrect some religion from a dead man. No, he was resurrected, and that's what he did. He reveals the truth about the Bible. He eats with them, and he reveals who he is, and he disappears. Like, just what a wild text. What a wild text. Now, now, what do I say when it comes to the Bible oftentimes if you join us here? I say, listen, don't just read it and go, oh, yes, I, I, I see. Like, go into it. Put yourself in the story. Put yourself in with, in with, um, these, with Cleopas walking. How's he feeling? He's, what's he hearing? What would you be feeling if you were there? Put yourself in the story and begin asking the questions that come to mind. The right questions in these stories lead to amazing discoveries. And that's how we're going to get to the next little bit of this sermon. Because one question just kept jumping out at me over and over as I read this account. Like, who are these two people? And why does Jesus decide to appear to them on a road as they leave Jerusalem with broken faith? Who are they? He appears to them before he appears to his 11 disciples. They must be important. He must love them dearly. Who are they? So I started to follow this thread. And this morning you're going to have to humor me just a little bit, okay? Just a bit. We have the name of one of them. His name is Cleopas. We don't know who his companion is. So let's start with Cleopas. What's so important about Cleopas that Jesus seeks him out before his other disciples? He's obviously close to Jesus because he was with him earlier. He was with the disciples earlier that morning when they heard the news that the tomb was empty. He was with them. He's one of Jesus' followers. He's close. He's on the inside. Not one of the 11, but he's close. 
He was there. He saw Peter and John get up and run out of the room. He didn't go, but he saw them run. So my mind wouldn't let this go. Who is this guy? Why does Jesus take time out of his resurrection schedule and go find two people on the road, walk with them, eat with them, and disappear? Like, come on. There's got to be something to this. I mean, it's too bad he's just not mentioned somewhere else, right? We don't find the word Cleopas anywhere else. Now, here's the thing. Some tradition contends that Cleopas, because if you Hellenize his name from the Aramaic, it's Clopas. And Clopas is mentioned in the very inner circle of Jesus in other places, along with the disciples. That would be the Hellenized version of his name. So, a lot of Hebrews during this time would go by two or more names. Peter's referred to as Simon and Cephas. Paul himself had dual citizenship in Rome and Israel, so Saul was his Jewish name and Paul was his Roman name. So let's focus on John 19.25 where Clopas is referred to. When it happens, Jesus is hanging on a cross. He's suffering. He's hanging up there for people to see. His mother Mary and those are closest to him. And it says this, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. So we have Clopas married to a woman named Mary. Now, who is this? Because she's also mentioned in other places in the Bible. Matthew 28, verse 1. The very same morning of these two people walking back to Emmaus, we hear this. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. That's Cleopas' wife, the other Mary. We also hear in Luke 20. 24, that she's referred to as Mary, the mother of James. This Mary, this other Mary, is in all four gospel accounts. She's close, and she's always close in proximity. So I promise we're going somewhere with this. We're getting a clearer picture of who Mary is, a clearer picture of who Cleopas is, but it still doesn't help us to know why Jesus appeared to them. Again, why would he take time out of his resurrected, he's got, he's got disciples to see, he's got things to do, and he, these two people are leaving Jerusalem their faith is done. Let's go down the rabbit hole just a little bit further. You guys have all heard of Hegesippus, right? Hegesippus, the ancient historian, of course you have. He chronicled the early church's history. And, and, and unfortunately, you, you guys, we all know this because we've read him. Most all of his writings have been destroyed except for eight passages that have remained. And the Greek historian Eusebius quotes them. Eusebius, called the father of church history, quotes him. And he says that Cleopas is the brother of Joseph. Cleopas, the brother of Joseph. Which Joseph? The Joseph the angel appeared to. The Joseph that the angel said to Mary, the pregnant Mary, who raised Jesus as his son. These ancient historians claim that Cleopas is that Joseph's brother, which, if true, makes Cleopas on the road to Emmaus Jesus's uncle. And if that's true, then his wife named Mary, who is constantly seen with Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene, she would be Jesus's aunt. Why is this important? Because the Bible is an account of real happenings. And people say, we always ask, or maybe we don't ask, why did Jesus appear to these people? Why is he show, who are they and why is he appearing? I believe today we can see there's actually a very beautiful answer. From Scripture, we know that Mary and Cleopas were present that very morning with the 11 disciples. From the Bible, we know they were present watching Jesus on the cross. And now heartbroken from what they witnessed, they pack up and they start walking home. Who would be traveling with Cleopas to go home? Who's this nameless companion most likely? 
when they get to the house and they say, would you enter in and eat with us, who would be living at the house with Cleopas to share his house? I believe this unnamed person is Mary. Cleopas and Mary, his aunt and uncle walking home. Now, we truly don't know. I I have to admit that. But in my opinion, from all researching, um, I believe this absolutely to be true of Cleopas and Mary. But what's interesting is if you look at the paintings of the road to Emmaus, they're always two men. Every flannel graph, always two men. Always. I don't believe it was two men. I believe the answer is much more beautiful and much more real life than that. It's far more likely that Cleopas's wife, Mary, mentioned throughout the Gospels, is traveling with her husband to go back to her home where she's staying. And on their heartbroken road home, they encounter Jesus. He hides his identity from them. Cleopas states, we hoped that he was the one. We hoped he was the one to save us. We were hoping he was who he said he was. And Jesus says, foolish people, how slow are you to believe what the prophets had spoken? And when you reread Jesus say, you foolish people, if it's to two random people, it seems kind of like a harsh rebuke. But if we reframe the story emotionally, Jesus pursued these two people. He sought after these two people. He caught up to these two people. He's walking with these two people. They are his heartbroken disciples, downcast and hurting. And in my mind, when Jesus looks into their eyes and say, what kind of things? He's looking into the sad faces of his aunt and his uncle, which makes his his admonishment much more endearing. This is his aunt and uncle who they invite him into their home. It's likely a home Jesus had stayed in before. At times in in family structures back then, they would live together and raise children. He could have been raised with them, but if not, certainly they had held him as an infant. In Luke 2, Mary and Joseph, Jesus' mom and dad, they forget the Son of God at the temple and leave and go back home, leaving Jesus in Jerusalem. And it says they assumed he was with relatives. Joseph and Mary assume that Jesus is with Auntie Mar and Uncle Cleo. So on this sad road back to Emmaus, Jesus looks into their eyes, and what he says is, what he's thinking is, Auntie Mary, Uncle Cleopas, don't you remember all that was said? Don't you know all that you've read, but also what you've heard? Because Joseph shared the dream with his brother. Mary shared her innermost thoughts with other Mary. They would know. Why are you walking home? Go back to Jerusalem. They get to the house in Emmaus, and they're invited to stay with them. And imagine reclining at that table. The stranger has just wowed you with his knowledge in the word, and he lifts his hands to break bread, right? He gets the bread to break it, and when he lifts it up, his sleeves reveal something. What would they be looking at? The scarred hands. Crucifixion scars. And it says, suddenly the veil was lifted, and I believe in my heart. Their eyes shifted from the scars on the hands to the smile behind them. As Jesus, at that point, exited. How long do you think they sat in silence? Like he's like, there's always that like three to five seconds of just like, no way that just happened. Like, you know, like he's alive. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? And they even say, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road? As he opened up the Bible, didn't our hearts burn within us? Didn't you feel the passion? Didn't your faith return to you? 
He's alive. And so what, what do they do? They make the seven-mile trip back to Jerusalem, this time much later. Have you ever been somewhere? Let's say you're going to Disneyland or somewhere you're excited about. The trip is a lot shorter than when you're walking home disappointed. Like the trip to Emmaus was like, oh, geez. But now Jesus is alive. They pack back up, and those seven miles, they are going, and they get to where the disciples are. They enter in where the other Mary is and the 11 disciples, and they tell them all they had seen. And guess what? Jesus then appears to them. Now, that was some fun teaching for me. Like I said, I cut a lot of pages. But I want you to see in this teaching, I want your eyes to be open to the beauty of the Word of God, and that sometimes below the surface, there are amazing truths to be found. But I want to put the teaching aside this morning because what we need right now is some preaching. What does that mean for me today that it was his aunt and uncle on the road? Like, I'm going to take that nugget with me and live this week. <laughs> like, what does it mean? Tell me. Give me something. I'm, I showed up today um, to get something. What does it mean, preacher? The reality is all of us have walked on a road to Emmaus. Some of you might be on the road right now as you listen or watch along or here in this room. The road to Emmaus is the road of disappointment when life breaks us. It's, it's the road of disappointment when God doesn't come through the way we hoped he would. Cleopas was downcast. We hoped that Jesus was the one. We hoped he, we had hoped that he was the one, but he wasn't. You see, circumstances and lost had crushed their hope. For us, our road to Emmaus is when circumstances have crushed us, when losses have hurt us, when diagnoses, diagnoses have shocked us, when funerals have emptied us, and we find ourselves with our faith just weakened, disappointment with God, and walking on this road to Emmaus, leaving, leaving it behind like, I don't know what just happened. This wasn't supposed to happen. Headed back to a life with a marginalized faith and smaller hopes. These two downcast disciples walking this road of disappointment, they had been hoping that Jesus would save them from their suffering, but Jesus came as a Messiah to save them by his suffering. And 2,000 years later, we often look for a Jesus that's going to save us from the suffering of life. And Jesus never promised that. He did say, he did say, in this world you will have trouble. We live in a fallen world. Terrible things happen, and it shakes us. And my hope for you this morning is we can drop our churchianity, and we can get really honest, because some of us are very disappointed in God. Years ago, decades ago, currently, or our doubts have kept us out of it, and we need to, to bring those forward. Anytime life circumstances bring this kind of trouble that Jesus talks about, it can lead us to the road to Emmaus, the road of disappointment. But what's amazing here is that Jesus doesn't leave them there. He didn't just let them walk home. He went after them, pursued them, and walked with them. And, and, and we see these two brokenhearted disciples walking away from Jesus, walking away. He goes after them. In the text, it says he walked along with them. Jesus walked with them in their disappointment. And Orchard, if you're walking in disappointment in life or broken circumstances, you have to know that Jesus walks with you in that as well. Jesus walks with you on the road of sorrow. He walks with you on the road of loss and the road of disappointment, the road of doubt. 
Jesus says he kept his identity hidden from them. And how often at our lowest times, at my lowest times, does it seem I can't see him? I don't see his identity. God, where are you in this? Like, God, where are you for real? And then those times where I've been just so broken, I'm not even looking for him. I'm just raging or crushed by my circumstances. But we find here that no matter, even if we're walking away from God like these two were, walking away from Jerusalem, going back to their old life, Jesus pursued them, showed up, and walked with them. Jesus pursued those who were in heartbreak and disappointment. And I'm going to get really honest with you this morning because we need to get really honest with ourselves. This is not a sermon that I just preach as a preacher. This is a sermon I have earned the hardest way possible. You see, it was 15 years ago that I moved back here from Georgia. I grew up locally right here, but I went off. And I was working in Georgia and I was at the top of my industry at the time in ministry. I was in Atlanta at a mega church. It was, it was officially the fastest growing church in the nation at one point. I joined at 250. It was well over 10,000 people and all that came with it. The conferences, maybe writing books, all those things. I was in my 20s. I had a lot more energy. A lot less wisdom. I was married pursuing God. I was seeing things that I couldn't even believe my childhood dreams to make an impact in God's kingdom were being actualized. It was happening. Things weren't going as I planned. I never could have planned they'd go this good. It was amazing. And then I learned about my then wife's first affair. And I was told, not to tell anybody. But keep working hard. And over the course of those seven gut-wrenching years, it became obvious to me that um, my marriage was not viable. I resigned from the church. I resigned from my dreams for love and marriage. I resigned myself from all the books and conferences and churches and what could have been and the pastor telling me that you're going to take over for me. I resigned from all those hopes. My life at that point fell apart as my dreams and my heart were crushed on every side. A layer of betrayal that was so deep, and I'll be honest, my trust in God, broken. I left the ministry. I joined a job um, at a mixed martial arts gym where I didn't have to exercise my brain or heart or faith too much, just my body. I was burned and broken. I, I promise, I, I just planned to eke out the best life I could on whatever was left for me. I moved back to Colorado, got a job here at a local place, and I swore I would never go into ministry again. Ever. I was so burned. I was so done. I didn't want to be involved in the church. And I'll be honest, I was absolutely relationally burned. But as I got some perspective and looked back, do you know what I was heartbroken most about? Yes, I was betrayed. Yes, I'd lost my dreams. But what hurt me the deepest and what hurt me the longest wasn't my disappointment with humanity. Humans do human things. My disappointment in God. That amidst all the dreams of marriage and ministry, 
that Jesus should have showed up. Jesus, where were you? I didn't just feel betrayed by people, I felt betrayed by him. Why'd you let this happen to me? I was on the road to Emmaus, and like Cleopas, I would have said the same thing he was. I, I, I thought Jesus was the one. I thought he was the one that was going to save me. But here, here I am, just walking back to an old life. Now, I didn't stop believing that Jesus died and rose again, but that was about all I believed at that point. My faith was just in shambles. I had no passion. How often in our lives do, do circumstances and losses and diagnoses and funerals and, and, and accidents and divorces break us and burden us and we find that it isn't just our hearts broken by a circumstance. We are heartbroken by our disappointment in God, if we can be honest. In church, we gotta drop some of our churchianity and be honest here. God, why did you let that happen? There's probably some things you need to ask him that. God, where were you in that? And in those moments, we find ourselves on the road to Emmaus, the road of disappointment with impoverished passion, faltering faith, and, and a deep disenchantment with what we used to believe. And what do we learn today? What does this road to Emmaus tell us? It tells us that the lowest moments of faith when faith is broken, when passion is gone, when people are walking away from Jesus, he pursues them and walks with them. That's what this story tells us. That Jesus goes out of his way to pursue people leaving who are broken, who are hurting, to, to be with them, to walk with them, to walk alongside them in orchard. Many of you here today would say, yes, I do believe in Jesus, but in your heart, you need to admit, you're on the road to Emmaus. Yes, you may believe in God, but you're on a road of disappointment, walking with no passion, a faith that doesn't actually engage in your real life, and disappointment with God because you've been hurt, there's been loss, there's been, you've been burned, there's been circumstances that left you wondering, God, where were you? He didn't come through the way I'd hoped. He didn't come through the way you'd hoped. And even now, as you hear my voice, however you're hearing this, he is saying this to your heart. My son, my daughter, I pursue you even now. You've been hurt. You've had loss. You have hoped that I would solve your pain and circumstances. And some of those, my child, aren't going to be solved until heaven. But there are some places in your life I'm going to show up and do miracles. Jesus would want you to know, I am pursuing you. I am walking with you in your disappointment. He would say, my daughter, I know you're downcast. I know you've been wounded. My son, I know you've been burned. I know you're angry. I have pursued you. I am not giving up on you, and I'm walking with you in this. Don't forget what is actually true of me, what you've known in the past, what the word says. I am who I say I am, and I walk on this road with you. For many of us, like Cleopas and Mary on that road. See, I believe for some of you, I believe Jesus. Jesus revealed himself to them. Did you notice that? It wasn't right away. 
He didn't come and interject when they saw him crucified. They saw the circumstances go terrible. They went through three days of mourning, and that could have been three months, three years, whatever it could be for you in your life. But at some point, he shows up and he reveals himself. He revealed himself with those scars on his hands and the smile. He's going to reveal himself in your life and those very places where you've been disappointed and broken. And the things that you thought were just meant to break you, there is going to be some breakthrough as Jesus shows up in those places. He's not going to leave you in that forever. And so if you are on a road of disappointment or doubt or loss or whatever it could be, know that he's walking with you. And your prayer today during communion is, Jesus, where are you? Reveal yourself. During communion, I want you to have, I've been very honest with you today because I want you to feel the freedom to be very honest with God. That during communion, and, in, and, and if you're not a, a member here as your guest, you can, you can take communion in this place. And as you hold the symbol of Jesus' blood and his body, and you thank him for his sacrifice, before then say, Jesus, I believe you lived and died and rose again, but, but I'm wounded, and I'm hurt, and I'm disappointed Jesus, where are you today? Please reveal yourself to me in my brokenness. For those of you in this place, it's not even disappointment with God. You don't even know if you believe in God. You have so many doubts, so many experiences, such a spiritual journey that's brought you to this place. Your prayer this morning is, Jesus, will you reveal yourself to me for who you are? I'm open to you revealing yourself to me in my life. You can verbalize your doubts. He's big enough for that. But Orchard, as we go into communion, we go into some songs, I want you to be honest with God and maybe yourself for the first time. That you got some disappointments, some hurts, some doubts. And you can bring them to him. If you're in this place and you have some hurts that are big and you want prayer, we're gonna have a prayer team back there in the back corner who confidentially will pray with you and for you and those issues. If you're in this place today and you're like, you know what, I don't, I don't believe in this Jesus, but I want to, you come talk to me right over here. And I would love to introduce you to him. But Orchard, as we go into this next moment, this next part, let's have honest conversation with Jesus about where we are in our faith journey and where we've been wounded. So God, we, we come before you. Jesus, it is amazing to me that you went and you found these two people on a road and showed up and revealed yourself, and I'm asking you to do that today. Jesus, will you please do today what you did on the road to those two people? Will you reveal yourself? In every single life, every single story, every single loss of hope and every hurt, will you reveal yourself in this moment, in this week? In Jesus' name, amen.